from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. You can fog on a Thursday night for mosquitoes, and Friday morning you can have a whole new generation of some species of mosquitoes hatching out from a tiny little space in a bucket in your yard. They are so sensorily adept. They can find us through CO2 that we exhale, through lactic acid that we exhale, through heat that comes off our bodies, they have little heat sensors. They can, they're attracted by odors, so summer is a really good time to go fragrance-free with everything. I really miss my cologne until mosquito season is over. So you stop wearing it entirely. I that, do. that helps keep I them a little do. bit at bay. And it's sad. So in the same way that you might want to change your diet or you might want to change your wardrobe, you want to find a good mosquito repellent that works for you and use it. I'm Sarah Fenske. Summer in St. Louis ought to mean pools, patios, and picnics. Instead, for far too many of us, it means mosquitoes. Endless buzzing, seemingly endless blood sucking. But it doesn't have to be that way, and it doesn't have to involve a fog of insecticide. Jean Ponzi is Green Resources Manager for the Earthways Center of the Missouri Botanical Garden, and she says that understanding mosquitoes can go a long way to keeping them at bay. And she joins us today to explain more. Jean Ponzi, welcome. Hi, Sarah. Glad to be here. So, Jean, we think of you as a native plant expert, but I you're am. also a wealth of information about mosquitoes. How are those things related? Well, they're absolutely related because when you talk plants, you also talk bugs. There is an intimate relationship between especially native plants and species of insects that are native to our area. And those are beneficial insects, and there's also some pests. There's pests for other plants, pests for us. And we have a pollinator garden movement and a native plant gardening movement that is just off the charts in St. Louis. It's been recognized as a national leader by Doug Tallamy, who is the major national advocate for this kind of stuff. This is good for us. But it's then, very good. Yes, it's very good. But in my experience, most humans don't understand that bug fog, bug spray kills bugs Period. It doesn't differentiate. So if you're gardening for pollinators, you have to manage pests also in an ecological way. Native plants get us humans to work with ecological principles, and then we got to extend that to the insects, too. Boy, I hadn't even thought about that. And so when you, somebody says, I'm going to kill all the mosquitoes in your yard, that's going to have impact on insects Absolutely. that I need to be there. Absolutely it is. And many chemicals that are used by commercial pest control companies which are where they, you know, they do a good job. They're, they're, they're good to call for some things. But we have this love affair with chemicals, better living through chemistry. And we think that that silver bullet of someone applying something is going to do it all for us. And we really have more capacity, more ability to respond or responsibility than that. So we keep hearing about fogging. This yes. is the thing yes. to do. And I understand even beyond the fact that you don't want fogging to take down other beneficial insects, that there's also some limitations to its oh, yes. efficacy. Oh, yes. So tell us why this is not a panacea, even if you're willing to just take down every bug in your yard. Right. Well, and every public health agency knows that. Every vector control person knows that because what fogging does is it it 
kills adult flying insects that that chemical spray contacts. It does nothing to interrupt insect breeding, in this case mosquito breeding, which happens always in standing or stagnant water. Mosquitoes can only breed in standing water, so dumping standing water, that's a thing. But when you, you can fog on a Thursday night for mosquitoes and Friday morning you can have a whole new generation of some species of mosquitoes hatching out from a tiny little space in a bucket in your yard. And you've done nothing to change that cycle. So understanding how insects reproduce and where they are and in using a little ecological, you know, splash of that really goes a long way toward more effective mosquito control. So I know you have some ideas of more effective control, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do that, I'm realizing what I need is more of an education into the mosquito. Tell us some things we may not know about these guys. Well, it's been really fun to dig into this because, you know, I'm not an entomologist. Communications is my background. So when I get to learn biology, it's really fun. There are over 3,500 individual species of mosquitoes on the planet. And they have been evolving for over 30 million years. So they have sensory capacities to find their prey that are really multifaceted. And out of those 3,500 individual species, there are just a couple of species in three genera of mosquitoes that carry diseases of concern to humans. Hmm. That's it. And that and understanding that and what kind of mosquito we have in our area at any given time, which our public health agencies are doing surveillance, they're looking at identifying what we have, that can really go a long way to dictate what kind of effective control you use. For example, in 2019, spring 2019, was really wet. We had a huge infestation of 80s vexans mosquitoes, also called floodwater mosquitoes. They are vicious spiders. There's none of this dusk and dawn feeding for them just all day, and it hurts when they bite you. This, this explains so much about 2019. Yes, yes. However, 80s vaccines carry no diseases. They don't do it. There's a very, very limited range of mosquito disease vector, um, you know, those species. And so no public health agency would be fogging for those are considered nuisance mosquitoes. And what we expect public health to do is to protect our health, not spend our tax dollars you know, dealing with pests. There's other better ways to do that. But that also caused it caused an uptick in people calling on private companies that are offering services that we want. So let's change what we know and change what we want so we can use all those services as well as possible, including ecosystem services. And uh, and you mentioned that there are only three that carry these diseases, or um, three genera. In species in three genera. So the 80s, A-E-D-E-S species, there are 80s, Albopictus and Aedes aegypti, those are mosquitoes of real concern. They're not native to North America, but they have moved around the world, and we have them here now. Mostly we have Aedes albopictus. They're the ones that carry uh, um, uh, dengue fever and mm. Zika virus. And then species uh, Culex pipians in the Culex family, they carry West Nile virus, St. Louis encephalitis, and these are serious diseases. We do not want to mess around with these diseases. So our public health agencies are doing 
surveillance. They're identifying the kinds of mosquitoes we have, and if we had an uptick in those kinds of mosquitoes, they would respond appropriately. And in fact, how I got involved with a lot of this was back in 2016 when Zika was really kicking up in Brazil for the Rio Olympics, and then we had that big outbreak in Florida. Mm-hmm. I was invited by Janine Arigi at that time with the city, uh, city of St. Louis Health Department Vector Control to join an emergency preparedness exercise with state and local health departments and communications people. And I, you know, I'm there, I'm like from the garden, I'm plant girl. But I also recognized I was representing a legion of advocates and person power who could educate neighbors and work in the region to help augment the eyes and ears and the capability of those public health agencies. So, it's, you know, it's been mosquitoes and monarchs and native plants for me ever Just since. Just a good mix. Yeah. But so it, it sounds like what you're saying is they are completely on top of monitoring for these dangerous mosquitoes. Most of what we're dealing with in our backyards, these are nuisance mosquitoes. Yes. Not yes. dangerous. That is correct. That is correct. Well, and, you, and you can even tell, you know, when you start looking at them, but Usually by the time you look at them, hopefully you've squashed it. They are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're listening to this conversation and you've got a question about mosquitoes or about mosquito control, we have the expert right here with us today, Gene Ponzi of the Missouri Botanical Garden. You can give us a call. Our phone lines are open. We're at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. So, Gene, you've got us primed for the idea that we don't want to bring on the fog. What can we do to combat these mosquitoes. Well, you're kind to use the word expert for me. I continue to learn. And in fact, just yesterday, I read two articles in The Atlantic that updated my knowledge of how mosquitoes find us. Hmm. They are so sensorily adept. They can find us through CO2 that we exhale, through lactic acid that we exhale, through heat that comes off our bodies. They have little heat sensors. They can, they're attracted by odors. So summer is a really good time to go fragrance-free with everything. I really miss my cologne until mosquito season is over. So you stop wearing it entirely. I that, do. that helps keep I them a little do. bit at bay. And it's sad because I love it. Um, also, certain colors and contrast between colors. So we're, also, we're always told to wear light-colored, loose clothing. First of all, loose clothing is a little barrier. The mosquito lands on your pants or your skirt, and it can't get to your skin. Um, uh, dark colors like red and black are very easily identified by mosquitoes because they contrast with the green that mosquitoes are seeing. So how mosquito, how do the repellents work? They confuse the sensory receptors that mosquitoes are look, are using to find prey. And, you know, find prey, this is one of my favorite punchlines. With mosquitoes, only females bite. They are biting to take a blood meal to develop the protein to lay eggs. Mm. Males cannot bite. They do not bite. And it's one of the few places in the entire natural world where males are, like, better than females. That's interesting. Better (laughs) or at least more harmless. I mean, the females are still doing the work, right? That's right. That's right. i got to stand up for my my gender here. Yeah, yeah. And I listened to a terrific show on um, uh, – what's the one right before this one? On NPR Is that the takeaway? I think it's the takeaway, yeah, about – a uh, pilot project in the Florida Keys from Brazil about genetically modifying male mosquitoes. So when they mate with the females, the females 
legs are eggs are not viable. A lot of interesting stuff like that going on. A lot of high tech, but we can use very very simple low tech protection. Use the chemicals where they do the most good on us. Yeah, Jean, I gotta say that idea of, of what they're working on, and I heard about that yeah, as well. Got a lot it, of questions. It, that feels a li- it makes me think about Jurassic Park. Like just mm-hmm. because we can, does that mean mm-hmm. we should? Uh-huh. You mm-hmm. share some of those mm-hmm. concerns. I do, and that you know, well, why don't we just kill all the mosquitoes? Well, mosquitoes are a huge part of the food chain. Some mosquitoes even prey on the larvae of other species of mosquitoes. Hmm. And not very many mosquitoes even bite humans. All the other kinds of mammals are also mosquito prey and birds. Anything basically that kind of gives off heat and carbon dioxide, mosquitoes are attracted to. So they're a part of this bigger ecosystem. Oh, yes. You wipe oh, that absolutely. out, it might oh, have repercussions. Totally, totally. Even and the even if you look at about. the males of one species of mosquito, that's a that's taken a big gear out of the watch of nature that we don't fully understand yet. Yeah, that seems like it just becomes dangerous, just the the fact of of messing with it. We actually have a caller who has a question right along these lines. I'm going to go to the phone lines. Uh, Cassie is calling from Olivet. Uh, Cassie, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, Sarah. Great show. Yes, thank Um, you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. I'm just wondering, what is mosquitoes' purpose in our ecosystem? Like, are they just here to bother us? Do they have a purpose? Cassie, that's a great question, Jean. It is the existential question. What is the purpose of any living thing? Really, we everybody eats somebody else. Everybody becomes food or habitat for somebody else at some point in time. And mosquitoes are, in fact, an important food source. And there's other insects that are pests to us, ticks and chiggers, for example. But a good mosquito repellent will also help keep ticks and chiggers from finding you because they're all attracted by carbon dioxide and those other sensory things that I mentioned. So, Gene, this is a, a good food source for whom? Uh, uh, birds, fish, dragonflies are the number one mosquito predator. Bats eat mosquitoes. And I had a conversation with you know my, our Earthways team the other day. Tell them about bat houses. Put up bat houses. Yes, that's good. One of many, many strategies. And there, you know, we are annoyed by a lot of things. Let us manage that. Um, Cassie, I hope that that Thank gave you. you a good answer there where you feel persuaded. Uh, the dragonflies, that to me is, we think of those as that's yes. a good insect yes. to have around. Yes. Um, it's all part of the same chain. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we can do yes, to mitigate. Good. Obviously, you good. mentioned you don't want to wear black and red clothes. It's better to go scent-free. What if you're still getting bitten after that? Well, and Everyone, everyone's body chemistry is different, Sarah, and that's where you want to experiment and find a good personal mosquito repellent that works for you. And this is now my number one thing that I'm advocating for. And the US EPA has for a long time identified active ingredients that they recommend for many, many, many years. That was always DEET, which was developed by USDA to protect American troops fighting in the Pacific Theater in World War II. Mm. Now there are eight active ingredients that US EPA recommends, including several plant-based ingredients that I have known about for a while and are possible to find in substances. Uh, catnip oil, the oil of the catnip plant in the mint family, very fragrant, has a substance in it that the University of Iowa studied back in 2010, showed it was as effective or more effective than DEET in confusing those mosquito receptors. That's now on EPA's list. Oil of lemon eucalyptus, oil of citronella, which we put in citronella candles, but you have to be like a foot away from a citronella candle in order for that to work. And not everybody wants to sit there smelling that. uh, let's see. There's also three other ingredients that are very hard to find. But the other last time I went into a Target and looked at the mosquito repellent, there were several brands 
including um, off has brands, has uh, types now that use plant-based active ingredients, not just DEET. And there are two that I, my body chemistry works well with locally. Uh, Herbaria Soap Company over on the hill makes a citronella mist that has oil of citronella and catnip oil. And then catnip summer spray from Cheryl's Herbs in Maplewood is a, a very fresh, very minty smelling, doesn't feel icky on your skin, that works for me. My colleagues at the Earthway Center have tried these. They don't all work with everyone's body chemistry. And your body chemistry changes with pregnancy, as your immune system changes, as you age. So in the same way that you might want to change your diet or you might want to change your wardrobe, you want to find a good mosquito repellent that works for you and use it. Because then you have that shield wherever you go. You're not just you know treating your whole yard and your whole neighborhood in a way that is detrimental to the rest of ecology and doesn't interrupt mosquito breeding. Let's go back to the phone lines. That's certainly persuasive right there. Uh, Bill is calling from Sunset Hills. Uh, Bill, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Uh, am I on the air You now? are, yeah. Thank you for joining us, Bill. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, I just went outside and looked at my electronic uh, insect killer, and I got quite a few mosquitoes last night. It's the one that attracts them with... Uh, ultraviolet light, and I suppose it's only good at night after dark. Uh, uh, Bill, this is, this is actually something I'm not familiar with, and Gene, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on these electronic uh, insect killers. Uh, well, the big thought that I have is that they elect, attract a lot of kinds of insects, not only mosquitoes. And we are having an insect apocalypse, frankly. We are really taking down our insect populations. They are an underpinning of ecological health worldwide. So that kind of device, I, my understanding is it's not the most effective about mosquitoes and also how many mosquitoes are active or are you active out there at night? Those dead mosquitoes are not necessarily gonna change the population bill that you or anyone else is gonna encounter when you go out the next day or two days from then. And they're also uh, negatively impacting other insect populations. Okay. So it sounds like uh, proceed with these electronic killers yes, yes. Uh, with wariness. Yes. Um, let's go back to the phone lines. I think we have time for one more. Uh, Patrick is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Patrick, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for taking my call. I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I was calling because uh, I'm a beekeeper, and I was wondering if there are any native plants that you could plant, like in your backyard, that would naturally repel mosquitoes but wouldn't negatively impact uh, pollinators like bees or butterflies. Patrick, that is a great question. You may have stumped Gene, but I'm going to know you have no, not no, no. stumped Gene. Good when work, you, Patrick. When you landscape with native plants, you are creating a biodiverse habitat that will attract a biodiverse population of insects, including mosquito predators. And birds, and potentially bats. And you will also be creating habitat, especially when you do that with plants, when you're rainscaping with plants that allow rainwater to filter down into the ground instead of stand and be soggy and, and breed mosquitoes. Native plants are good for everybody. Native plants are the plants that are here. They're the peeps, the natural ecological peeps of insects and birds. And you can still have your petunias and your hostas, but we'd, I'd love to have another conversation just about native plants. Thank you, Patrick. Okay, so Patrick, it sounds like you're on the right path. That's going to help get that you ecosystem bet. back in balance. Um, so, Gene, it sounds like the big takeaway you'd want people to say here is that we want to change the smell of our own skin. We don't want to change our greater environment. We want to make ourselves invisible to mosquitoes. That's we want to confuse, summary. we want to jam their signals. 
And that's what mosquito repellents do. That's what the active ingredients do. We also want to have barriers, so good screens in good repair in your house. When you're dining outside or you're playing outside, get a fan. Use your fans. Mosquitoes are not real strong flyers. And when the fans are on, you're cool and mosquitoes are not landing on you. And then the last thing I really want to mention is municipalities, some municipalities have their own fogging equipment and routes. Many in our region will contract with a county agency, St. Louis County or Madison County, St. Clair County, to do fogging. You can opt out. You can communicate with your municipality. Public health officials know that fogging is the least effective thing they can do, but they are serving our needs and our demands to protect our health. So when we work with them and work with ecological understanding, it's a win-win-win for everyone. Well, Jean Ponzi, I want to thank you so much for joining us My today. My pleasure, Sarah. And I do want to mention, if people have questions for Jean, I know we have some callers we did not get to, or if you're listening to this, Jean is, is happy to respond to each of you individually and try to answer those questions. Her email address is greenresources at mobot.org. Again, greenresources at mobot.org. We'll also get that on our website. And those products that Jean recommended that are available locally, we'll make sure to include that on our website as well. So look for the story about her visit. And if I may say, I, I get to do a lot of public speaking on very many ecological talks. Mosquitoes and monarchs is a really fun one. So for your garden club or your community group or whatever, green resources at mobot.org is a way to connect with that too. Okay. Well, thank you so much, It's Jean. a buzz. Jean, again, is the green resources manager for the Earthways Center of the Missouri Botanical Garden. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.